0: God's grace, peace, and mercy be with you on this second Sunday of Pentecost through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. When life hands you a bowl of lemons, what do you do? Make lemonade. There's a way of saying the same thing with uh, another old cliche, bloom where you are planted. Very good. Yeah, make the best of where you are. You can't always control your circumstances, so make the best of it. Adjust your attitude. Look for opportunities. Make the most of each day. I learned that pretty young at 18, <clears throat> leaving my childhood home in sunny Southern California and relocating to Shreveport, Louisiana. It was a shock to the system, to say the least having grown up with all my surfer friends and valley dudes i now found myself working with the good old boys my favorite calmex and chinese foods gave way to cajun cuisine possum stew anyone yeah not a mountain or hill i could climb anywhere in sight nothing but farms and swamps and forests so thick you couldn't walk through them without getting bit by every mosquito, tick, and chigger in the state. I hated it at first. By the time i turned 20, I'd struck up a relationship with some of the locals and joined a local Civil Air Patrol unit and started seeing more of the area and uh, meeting more people. And I began to see and appreciate the beauty there, the friendliness of the people, who, by the way, insisted I pronounce my last name correctly in the French. And I began to eat crawdads and squirrel gumbo and I liked it. My bowl of sour grapes had turned to sweet wine. and My guess is that's happened to you in your life at some time or another. You may be blooming here where you've been planted. I know Jill and I feel that way about ourselves. The thing is, it's not just a cliche, it's something which God makes real, and He puts His blessing in it. He says so in the scroll of Isaiah the prophet. Now, Isaiah is, the, is a book of the Bible I don't think many of us go to very often. You know, it takes a long time to read the whole thing, and it's not a story in that it's you know, describing something that happened. It's not a letter either. It's a prophecy. Very lengthy prophecy. It's loaded with oracles. Oracles are these little statements or proclamations, something that's going to happen with consequences. That's what most of Isaiah is. And it's hard to read for very long because it's just mind-blowing. It's hard to understand well, who's talking here? Is it the Lord, or is it Isaiah, or is it Isaiah speaking for the Lord? It goes back and forth, and you really have to pay attention, read the whole thing in order to get all that. But tucked neatly into the, one of the oracles is this verse which we heard a minute ago in your, in your reading, in your service folder. As juice is in a cluster of grapes, and someone says, don't dump it out, because there's something good at it. You read over that too quickly in your Bible, you miss a golden Easter egg in there. The gospel of Jesus Christ is in there. And yet, at the same time, it's kind of hidden in this little image of a cluster of grapes. I'll show you, but let's look back at verse 1 of our reading from Isaiah. On page 2 there, Isaiah 65, verse 1. I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. This is the Lord speaking here now. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here am I, here am I. Now, Isaiah says the same thing earlier in the book. But he's not saying that here. This is God saying, hey Israel, here I am. Here am I, here am I to a nation that was not called by my name I spread out my hands all day to a rebellious people, and so on and so forth. You know, you can almost, you know, you can almost feel the hurt in God's voice as the prophet writes these, these words. It's as if God is uh, standing, standing there with His arms outstretched towards His people, pleading for Israel. His people turn away from Him. They look to their own pursuits and pleasures. I know it's hard to think to to think of God this way, but we have to remember He is three persons in one God. Right? He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father has emotions, you know. He gets angry. He grieves. He has gladness, and he rejoices, and other emotions in between. All those probably. We were made in his likeness, after all. So it shouldn't be a surprise when we hear him exasperated to the points of threats against his people when they thumb their noses at him and insult him. They're doing things their way, not his. They're breaking his agreement with them. And here's what they're doing. You can read this in here. Sacrificing in gardens instead of the tabernacle or the temple. They're supposed to sacrifice on altars made of stone, not brick. And here's the weird thing here's a weird thing that people are apparently doing hanging out with the dead in tombs, spending the night in tombs, and pondering death instead of burying their dead and avoiding decay. See, that's what God told them to. You know, when you bury your dead, get them away from the camp and don't touch them. You know, wrap them up, whatever, bury them. But they're unclean now, so avoid them. Stay away. Not, not, not meant as any kind of disrespect for the dead, but that's just the way to handle dead, decaying bodies, right? Here's another thing they're doing. They're eating ham sandwiches and drinking broth tainted with unclean meat in their pots Sounds delicious, huh? Possum stew again, anyone? But it gets worse. The people of Israel have begun to think that they're too holy for God. Too holy for God. Imagine that. What is one to do with such a stiff-necked, puffed-up people? Well, we should be careful how we answer because... We just might invite the same consequences as Israel unto ourselves. As Christians, we're free to eat squirrel gumbo and everything else that isn't poison to the body. And we can build a temple out of brick and visit our dead in the cemetery. Don't expect anyone's going to spend the night out there, but we can still visit the dead and ponder death and the resurrection. But we shouldn't look down on our Israelite forebears because we have a lot in common with each other. How often have we told God to take His word elsewhere or ignore it altogether? Our attendance level bears that out. We've made our Sabbath day a smoldering stench in God's nose by putting something good like family ahead of God, not to mention His church taking a back seat to the church of sports. What is the hope for us, if we're even asking that question? Because if we were to just take God at His word in these few verses in Isaiah, He's going to pay His people back at once for their wrongs and measure out their wages. Doesn't sound good. Except He goes on. As juice is in a cluster of grapes and someone says, Don't dump it out because there's something good in it. This is what I'll do for my people, God says, in order not to destroy them all. I will bring out a descendant from Jacob and from Judah, one who will inherit my mountains. God wants us to picture in our hearts and minds the vineyard owner, who's told not to throw away the whole cluster of grapes just because some are dried up or rotten. There are enough good ones in there to make excellent wine. So in the same way, God will not cast out the whole nation of Israel because there's still a few faithful people in their midst. And what a weird purpose for Jesus to be brought forth into the world through the Israelite family. To inherit the hills? Well, God was insulted from people on those hills. Probably a reference to vineyard owners who relied on their own strength and not God. Maybe even those who worshipped other gods. Yet Jesus came to redeem those people too, so let them hear and turn to God. God goes on a little bit more. My chosen people will inherit the land and they will live there. Bloom where you bloom where I have planted you, Israel. Later on, Jesus tells the man whom he healed from demon possession, Go home and stay there. Tell everyone how much God has done for you. God is just as much at work in the land of the Gerasenes as He is in Jerusalem. He's just at, as much at work in Sherwood and Portland as, and other places as He is overseas. I think we sometimes get caught up in this scene of Jesus calling us to be His disciples and we're supposed to drop everything and 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 everything that we're doing and give up everything and follow Him. And that was certainly the call for the apostles and many more that followed Him until He rose out of their sight. But some are still called today to leave their homeland behind and be sent somewhere else for the good of others. At the same time though we are called to bloom where we are planted. Stay where you live and Tell everyone what God has done for you. He died on the cross and rose again on Easter to redeem you and save you and give you everlasting life. And He promises that to everyone else. So go tell them. This is what He's done. I'll tell you what He's done for me. He found a lost and condemned sinner and brought me to the waters of baptism, washed me clean, forgiven me all my sins and given me life which lasts forever in His kingdom and everything in it. And He's done, like I said, the same thing for you. Let's tell people what He's done for us and them. There are dried up and rotten grapes in our towns and cities, to be sure, but there are some good ones too, ready to be made into good wine. There's a blessing in it. Amen.